0: Good morning. If you guys will go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll be in chapter 3 today. Chapter 3 is probably one of the the more well-known chapters in Ecclesiastes, especially the first eight verses. Um, It's it's been used uh, in secular... Music lyrics. It's been used uh, a lot at funerals. Uh, It's this reminder that for everything there is a season. Uh, That's that's how the chapter begins. Um, In in high school, I was a a runner. I ran cross country and track, and uh, so there's in sports. There's this idea of like in season, out of season, you're 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 constantly working, and so off season you have uh, work that you're doing that uh, is preparing you for the competition. And then during the season, you're doing work that's like honing in on your skills to make you better for the competition. We understand like seasons in sports. We get it with the weather. Um, seasons exist. You have not in Louisiana, but you have, you know, winter, spring, summer, fall. Um, those exist in places of the world. Um, our careers have seasons. We have seasons of uh, finding a lot of joy in our work and seasons where it's uh, drudgery. Um, and school, you have seasons where you have, uh, if you're not like me, where you may enjoy your school uh, periods of that, but then you also have like holidays and things like that where you are in season and out of season. And this morning, we're looking at the seasons of life and and why and how God has orchestrated all of this for His glory. And So when when we're thinking through this passage this morning, I want you to consider where you're at today, where you've been, where you'd like to be. Um, When thinking through seasons of life, it can get complicated because there's so many Nuances and aspects to our lives, right? We have our spiritual condition, where sometimes we feel uh, these mountaintop experiences, and other times we feel very dry and distant. Uh, but you, you also have seasons uh, in, in your work and school, and you have seasons all around us. It's, it's constantly changing. Even in individual relationships that we have, you, you go through seasons. In some relationships, you feel closer, and others, you feel a little more distant, and it's and so much to navigate. Um, so my hope this morning is that uh, as we think through where we're at, um, we'll be able to see uh, what the Lord is doing. Um, but before we even jump into this, let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that we would be so dependent on your word. Help us to love your word. Holy Spirit, fill us, teach us. We desperately need you this morning. Amen. So we're in the middle of this Best Life series where we're going through the wisdom literature of, uh, of the Old Testament. Um, we've looked at Proverbs, and we're in Ecclesiastes now. Um, today is our last look at Ecclesiastes, so uh, we'll be moving on after this. But over the past couple weeks, we've had a look at this incredibly relatable book it's complicated because it, it kind of goes against what Proverbs says in some ways. Proverbs says, do all these things and life will work out great. And Ecclesiastes overall says, actually, it may, it may not. Um, we see in chapter one, uh, the, what we call the, the preacher, or the prophet, the, he is giving us his main idea, like the thesis of the entire book. And it's basically that this life is meaningless, that death puts an end to this mundane cycle of life that we're all just stuck in, and we're really just this tiny little blip on the map of history. We're a, a grain of sand in the desert, a drop in the ocean. There's not much significance. That'd be a good song lyric. Um, sorry. Uh, there, there is a, dr- a drop in the ocean of our life. There's not much significance that we have while here on earth and that's where he gets our lives are vapor we're here in the morning and we're gone in the morning like there isn't substance to it it's fleeting you want to reach out and grab it and as soon as you think you got a hold on your life it's gone and so if that's not a chipper outlook on life we go on to chapter two where he tells us that there's basically nothing that we can pursue in this life that will bring us satisfaction If we assume that the author of this book is Solomon or a a person like Solomon, then we can also assume that this guy had endless resources. He had endless time and resources. He was only limited by his time on earth to pursue anything and everything that he wanted. And he did. And throughout this entire book, he's chasing, he's showing us how the the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of self-indulgence, money, recognition, comfort, Wisdom, all these things are ultimately pointless. They're never going to satisfy. And he knows because he's done it. He, he chased after it. He got it. He lived it to its fullest, and there was no purpose in it. So by the time we get to chapter 3, which is where we're going to be this morning, the preacher uh, is dealing with the seasons of life. He's looked at the big picture Nothing that we pursue in this life is ever going to bring satisfaction. Now let's focus in on the seasons of life. And it shows us that ultimately we have no control over our life. But our lack of control is really what gives us our greatest hope, which we're going to see this morning. Like the preacher, each and every single one of us really struggles to maintain control of our life. All of us, in some degree, in some corners of our life, we we really want to hold on. Even if you think that you're the most laid-back, go-with-the-flow kind of person, you, you want control. Control gives us stability. And so all of us struggle to maintain control. Some of us spend our entire lives trying to reach a higher paycheck, trying to gain influence, to appear valuable, to appear worthy in someone else's eyes trying to gain approval from someone, to receive honor and wisdom or intelligence or comfort. If only we could get through the season that we're in right now, everything would be better. If only we can make more money. If only we could uh, have more influence in our workplace. If only we had more of a voice, then life would be better. Then life would be uh, right some of us this morning may be feeling distant from God. Some of us may be feeling distant in relationships. And like the psalmist cries out, we, we sit here and we say, my bones are wasting away in me. I feel so dry. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 gives us hope to live our lives free from this burden. And that if we're honest, each of us carries a little bit of this burden around all the time. And I want us to see the truth about our lives, what our lives look like. And then to have an honest look at the purpose of our life and the purpose of our task here on earth, and then ultimately the comfort of our death at the end. So, how does this chapter help us see all that? Uh, The first thing I want us to look at at is uh, the first eight verses, this, this poem, where we get an honest look at what our life truly looks like. It says, For everything, there is a season. and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. He starts off this poem, by, by stating what we 've already said that for everything, there is a season, our life is made up of seasons there's there's so much going on in our life there's so it's so complex we we know this is true. we know that we have seasons. we talk about it like this, like we have seasons where where things are going so great and if you 're in that season right now, this it's awesome. It feels really good, uh, and then we have seasons where we are going through suffering and heartache or sometimes we're just apathetic these are seasons that we go through hopefully they're just seasons but this poetry that, that this guy writes here is, is meant to be contrasting you, you see there's a, there's a time there's a time for everything under heaven a time to be born and a time to die so right at the very beginning he's giving us big picture every single one of us is born every single one of us dies and then he he Zooms in the focus. A time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. It moves into more specifics. And, and for some of these things, there, there's, it's really obvious. Some of this is really good and really bad. Like you, you see the obvious time to kill and a time to heal. One of those is bad, one of those is good. That's obvious to us. But most of them are very um, ambiguous, Is this really bad? Is this good? It's not as straightforward. A time to seek and a time to lose. So in your your own life, you may be thinking, well, sometimes seeking is horrible. We we, we may seek the face of God and feel like we can't find him, and and it hurts. Where are you, Lord? Have you abandoned me? Like our Lord on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's seeking and he's not finding. But sometimes you're seeking better job opportunities and and it comes and and it's a good thing. So you see what I'm saying? Like it's it's not as obvious, straightforward as this is good, this is bad, this is what I want, this is what I should have. But almost all of the pairs that we see here are relational. A time to weep and a time to laugh. We weep because of the brokenness in relationships. We've lost someone, or there's been strain in a a relationship. But we laugh because someone has made us laugh. At some point in our life, a person who has made us laugh will make us weep. Whether that's from hurt in the relationship, things said, or death takes that person. There will be weeping, from laughter, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And all of these things, every single one of us is included in it. There's nothing missed out in this section. Every one of us experiences seasons of life. There isn't a flow to these seasons. The poetry doesn't have, we have good things that come and then there's going to be bad that comes after that. It's not this karma lifestyle. When I do good, good comes after that. If I do bad, bad follows. What goes around comes around. That's, that's not what this is saying. We cannot control these seasons as much as we want to. It would be so nice to be able to say, I will take a couple hours of suffering here if I can have like a year and a half of some really good times and then maybe I'll be ready to move on after that to a different season of life. We, we don't have a say over these seasons. We have no control. David uh, Gibson in his book, life Living, uh, Living Life Backwards, says, we make real, responsible decisions every single day. But in reality, we each know that the seasons of life are almost completely out of our hands. We can't plan these things. We can't plan when people come into our life and bring us joy and happiness. Sometimes you can. You have babies, but sometimes you struggle to have babies and there's hurt. There's mourning and you, and you feel like the season will never end. And it's comforting to know that there's something like this in the Bible that gives us space. Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God that confronts the, the brutal reality of life, that these seasons are, are sometimes good, but sometimes they really suck. And, and the Lord gives us space to work these things out. This is a complete summary of everything that all of us will ever experience in our life. Anything that you're going through right now is included in this passage, these first eight verses. But I think that it's important for us to, to know that what's in these first eight verses could, be writ- could have been written by anyone, not, not someone that's following after the Lord, that wants to pursue the Lord. Anyone could have written this because it's so relatable. It's so true. It's an it's a experience that we all have. But so what? How does, how does the Lord fit into this? Where is the hope in these seasons? So we look at verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? Now, this, this verse is meant to kind of be a shock to bring us back into, um, you know, okay, I'm waiting for some hope, some relief from this. But now you're, what gain is there? What point is there to this life? But he very quickly goes into verse 10 and says, I have seen the business of God. To man. So we see in verse 9 this this meaninglessness to the seasons of life, but then he gives us a new perspective. God sees the bigger picture here. I've seen the business of God. I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. God has everything under his control. He sees the big picture as a teacher, so I teach middle school social studies. As a teacher, I see the bigger picture of what we're doing for the year because the state's given me what the bigger picture is. And, uh, and so we, when we're working through history, uh, it isn't always everyone's favorite subject to learn about. It's not fun to, to learn about uh, dead people sometimes or constitutions that uh, are written in language that's really confusing for a seventh grader to understand. Um, but I try to teach my students... The, the steps that they need to understand things that are a little bit more difficult. So if, if they follow the procedures in my classroom, over time they, they get comfortable with what's, what they're learning and they, they can start to learn on their own. That's that's my goal anyway, because I see the big picture. If you, if you follow these steps, at the end of all this, at the end of the year hopefully, you will be able to not only know this content, but be able... To learn, be it be a person who knows how to learn for themselves. Parents do this even more with their kids. Okay, we, we see the bigger picture where we would like our kids to be going. And, and we set boundaries, we set limits. We, 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 we ha- I have twins and my wife is amazing at like keeping them on a schedule. If we didn't have a schedule, our life would be horrible. Um, but but it's not because we have a schedule. There's, there is structure there, and that provides comfort. There's incredible security in the rhythms of life. You, know, we, we may, you may feel constrained and bored by all that, but, but there is comfort and there is peace in, in our rhythms. And we have a loving God, a loving Father who, who sees the bigger picture much more than we can and, and has given us rhythms of life for our security so that we can rest in him, knowing life is in some ways predictable. Um, but there, But more than that, that there's a purpose to the rhythms. There's a reason that we have a schedule for our kids. And it's not because we're not unloving and we don't want them to have full freedom, but we know that within these rhythms of life, they're, they're going to find peace. They're going to find um, security in that. and And we have a God who is Infinitely more wise than any parent in this room will ever be, and he's done that. He establishes rhythms in our life, and he has sovereign control over us. He is—he uh, has given us a job to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that no man. Excuse me. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Like children, we want to know what God is going to do next. Like like little kids, we scream at God, "What are you doing? This is not fair. I don't believe you. Can you just fill me in on what's going on? What's going to come next? I cannot handle." This right now, please show me what's coming up. And sometimes the Lord is gracious and does that, but more often than not, he doesn't because it's not for us to know. We have the the benefit of thousands of years of history and and the New Testament, and we, we have been able to look back and see Christ and know that he has come and he has died for our sins, that he was resurrected so that we could have new life in him. But the people of the Old Testament did not have that. And they cried out, God, what are you doing? Please fill us in. And and he did through prophets, but it was confusing to them. They they couldn't see the big picture. He kept that from them. And it's the same with us. God is sovereignly in control. We want to know what he's going to do, but we're never going to be able to figure all of it out because we're not God. God. So we must grow small. We must be like children, not ranting and raving against our God because we don't know what's going on, but kids who trust their parents and know that they don't have to figure out all the details of life. They don't have to figure out and work through and navigate, how am I going to get a ride to this place and how long am I going to stay and what am I going to eat tonight for dinner because they just trust that their parents have it. And there's peace and comfort there as a child becoming an adult. That's why, like, all the memes, adulting, is, is, it's really funny, but it, 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 like, hurts a little bit because you can think back and remember what it felt like as a child and how peaceful that was. It was so good to not have bills to pay and responsibilities to have. But our kids, hopefully, trust us. So we must be like that. When we trust our Father... We can experience different seasons of life knowing that we don't have to figure everything out, that he's got it figured out. We don't have to know what's coming next because we have a God who does know what's coming next. And just because uh, we don't know we are, doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the things that God has given us. We can enjoy the gifts of God. We can work and enjoy the fruits of our labor, and suddenly this futile life that we live that's fleeting... Has meaning. These seasons of life that we go through have purpose because our God has put us in these seasons for a reason. He has orchestrated everything in His sovereign will so that we can experience a best, our best life. And it may not be health, wealth, and prosperity. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to do than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. We have freedom to do that because we know that we have a God who's in control. And then verse 14 says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. Again, we see his sovereign control. Anything that you are pursuing on your own, if you were chasing things down, if you were looking for approval from people, or if you are longing for love from someone else, if you are longing for more influence or a better paying job or anything like that, all of that is going to fade away. All of that is meaningless. But the things that the Lord establishes, the things that the Lord does and gives us to do will never fade away. And there is so much hope in that. We will never find satisfaction in anything this world has to offer apart from the work that the Lord has given us to do. And in the seasons of joy and the seasons of hurt, we know that all of that that we're working through and going through has a purpose, and there will be satisfaction at the end. And then in a weird way to tie all of this together in verse 15, the preacher says, That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. There's nothing new in this world, nothing new that you're going to come up with that hasn't already been tried, no solution to our problems, nothing. But then the preacher says here, God seeks what has been driven away. And the idea is that our God knows what's been in the past, knows what's happened, knows everything that has been and is able to go back and bring it forward and judge it. Because he moves into what we're going to see in a second, a season of judgment that is meant for our good and is meant to bring us comfort. When we work, we can do what Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, because we know that everything lasting that we do only lasts because of the Lord. And he does this so that we might fear him. It says uh, here in verse 14, God has done it. God has established everything that endures forever. God has done this so that people would fear before him. He wants us to fear him, this, this fear and awe, like reverence of who he is because we can give him praise and worship he deserves because he is the one who weaves history together. He is the one who weaves it and then we'll judge all of history based on the actions of man. Nothing and no one on earth can cause anything to endure forever. But God can. So in looking at all of this before we even move on, don't be in a rush to move on from the season that you're in. Don't, I'm, I'm really guilty about this. Like to constantly look ahead at what's coming down, what I think. If, if only I could get here, I'm going to rush and try to get ahead. Don't, don't be in a rush to move on to the next thing. Don't be so future-minded that you're no present good. Don't be so focused on what is coming that you miss out on everything that's going on. Uh, there's a wonderful line in the show The Office at the very end when Andy Bernard says, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before before we actually left them. And even if the the moment that you're in right now is not the good old days, it's not good for our hearts to rush through the things the Lord has put in your life for a purpose. Live wisely with the future in mind but don't miss out on what God is doing now because you're ready for the next thing. Don't check out of relationships because you've already moved on to something else. Don't rush to leave Monroe because you think there's nothing going on here. Don't rush out of your time if you were a college student in college. I mean, get done, but enjoy that time. God has put you there for a reason. Students wanting to just hurry up. If only uh, you, we can move on and just become you know, 18 years old and move on to high school, get out of our parents' house, then I'll start to live. Then it's going to be good. Don't rush out. Enjoy the moments that the Lord has given us to live in. If you are a child of God, your circumstances should not determine your joy. If if the solution in your mind to the season that you're in and all your problems is a change of circumstances, if if things would just change this way, then I would find joy, you've missed out on the point of the gospel. And And that point being that no matter where you're at, Jesus is better than everything that you're going through. And he saved you so that you might worship him in the, the pits of life and the mountaintops. A change in circumstances will always lead to discontentment if you're not looking to Christ to satisfy you. There's always going to be something else. And so we see that our task is to let go of the illusion of control that we, we have over our lives and to trust Him. And by trusting Him, we enjoy the gift of God by enjoying every moment that He's given us and the task that he's given us to do on earth, which is to enjoy the work that he's given us to do. So how is this kind of mentality not just the same as uh, the, the philosopher that says, eat, drink, and be happy, for tomorrow we die? Because at the end of verse 15, we see judgment. Judgment gives our current actions meaning and gives our suffering and injustice a voice before God. So let's look at verse 16. It says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So we see that even in the place where there's supposed to be good, where where the suffering is supposed to find meaning, you know, in, in the courts of, of this world where, where people and situations are to be judged and we're supposed to receive what's, what's due to us because of injustice, even there is wickedness. And man, do we see this in our world today? There is no court on this earth that will ever justify all of our hurts. And especially in America, we, we, we find our hope more and more in the Supreme Court system. And there will never be lasting hope there. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness because we are sinful. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to beasts is the same. As one dies, so another dies. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. So we see, coming back from this hope that we have to just enjoy life, we have, again, reality checked. We're no different from even the animals of the earth. We all die. We breathe the same air. We 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 all you know work, and then we die. We from dust we were brought from dust to dust. We will return. And just side note, he's not saying that we're that man and beasts are made in the image of God. Okay, we we can't let the confusing passages of Scripture negate what's clear about Scripture. It's clear that. We are different from the animals of the earth because we are made in the image of God. Genesis, th- Genesis chapter 1 is clear. We were made in God's image. And because of that, we have distinct value that's different from animals. But in principle, what he's talking about here, we, there's no different. We, we will die the same way you know, the, the cow died that you're going to eat this afternoon and your hamburger. Okay? Like, it's all the same. It was a little gruesome, I didn't mean to say that, sorry. Um, but there is no difference. And so what, what hope is there? All go to one place. All are from the dust, and the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and, or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw there is nothing better than that man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot, who can bring him to see What will be after him? The injustice in this world exists and not everything will work out well. In case you left verse 9 through 15 thinking everything will work out in the end, the preacher brings us back to reality here. The reality is that some situations and some seasons of life feel impossible to enjoy. He's just told us, even commanded us to enjoy the season that you're in, because that's how you glorify God. But you may be in a season right now where you feel like, that's impossible. I can't do that. And, and if we're honest, I feel like that happens more often than, than the seasons where we're like, yes, all is good and well. I can worship God in this. It, it feels like the seasons of hurt and suffering and trial last longer than the seasons of joy. Injustice happens in this world, and because of sin and wickedness, there is no justice in this life. Sometimes we can't make sense of our suffering. We may never see the purpose to our suffering, but because we have a Father who is just, one day there will be justice. One day we will know the purpose. We will face all the same, we all will face the same fate. In life, there is no advantages. We can't pull out the Jesus card one day and say, one day I know it will get better. This is not the prosperity gospel that says that if you just have more faith, then your circumstances will be better and and you'll be happy and and there will be good blessings that pour out on you. If you just give a little bit more to this ministry, then it will work out. If you have more faith. We can quote Romans 8.28 till we're blue in the face. We know that all things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can quote that and, and, and try to make our hearts believe that. And it's true. It will be. All things will work for the good of those who love him. But we may never in this life feel that or see that purpose. But when we die... There is judgment. Hebrews 9, 23 says, And just as, is, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. In, in our culture, judgment is like a dirty word. Like, you, you can't judge me. How dare you judge me? You're just as bad as me. And, and we get that. Like, Christians, we, we should have an understanding of sin that, yes, all sin is sin. You are just as sinful as I am. There's nothing that you will do in this life that will make you appear more wicked before God than me. All of us are wicked before God. Every single one of us. But judgment is necessary and good, especially from a good and just God who is perfect. He's the only one who can judge us truthfully and rightly and bring us justice for our suffering and injustice. This should be unbelievable comfort to believers because we know that there is no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ. The work of of Jesus on the cross ended it. It is finished. There is no more judgment. And that is incredible news. But for the non-believer, this is terrible news. Because there is condemnation, you are guilty before the Lord. And if that's true of you this morning, today is the day of your salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. Please. Because judgment is coming. Will it be good news for you, or will it be terrible? For the believer, this judgment leads to living well, not out of fear that you will be judged in your wickedness. And I've got to earn this. I've got to pay the the, the debt that that Christ died for me. I need to pay that back. In my my early years of salvation, I believed that so much, and it, it made a shipwreck of my faith because I felt so much that I needed to pay penance to God. I've sinned against you, and I can never pay Jesus back for what he did. And so I need to feel bad. I need to feel so guilty before I can really repent. But brother and sister, that spits in the face of what Christ did on the cross. Because you will never be able to pay him back. You will never, ever be able to pay back the debt that you owe. And that's the point. You can't do it. Christ can. Christ did. He died for you. And that is good news. It's so good. Hmm. The living well that comes from this judgment comes from not not fear being judged, but because no matter what season we are in, what season we're going through, the Lord sees it, and He judges our work accordingly. There is reward for those of us who are in Christ in heaven for the work that we do here on earth. Romans 6 says he will render to each one according to his works. This should lead to contentment in our heart. That we can find peace and rest in the seasons that we're in because in the suffering and in the good, there will be reward. Even if we never experience it here on earth. In heaven, we will. That is such good news. It should lead us to worship because we don't deserve that reward at all. Christ deserves all of it, but in the abundance of his mercy, he pours it out on us. Praise God for that. This book resonates so much in our hearts because the preacher is ultimately pointing to the wise one, Christ, who is the man of sorrows, but who also brings joy to his people, from the cross to the resurrection, we, we see the suffering servant walking through all the seasons of life that we have walked through, doing it perfectly. And he offers to us that same life. We can walk in contentment in our suffering. We can walk in the fullness of joy and worship of God, no matter what we're experiencing. And it's really, I mean, it's so easy to do that, if, it feels, when, when things are going right. And, and I don't want to, like, overbalance. Like, there are great seasons. But in this passage, I don't, I don't think that those of us who are in great seasons need encouragement to worship God. Those of us who are feeling dry as, as a bone need it. And so I want to read for those of us who are struggling to believe, struggling to believe that these words are true, that we can find joy in the season of life no matter where you're at. Hear these words from Psalm 13. As David cries out to God, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Over and over again, he's crying out, How long, God? The seasons of the darkness, the dark night of the soul, as a lot of believers have called it, where you feel distant from God, where you feel far from Him, feels like eternity. How long? Must we endure this? Consider and answer me, O God. O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My, stead- my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. In this song, we see a man who is broken and feeling distant. He is in a season of dryness, crying out to God day and night, Lord, hear my cry. And he reminds himself, he, he prays to the Lord, Light up my eyes to see. It's not that God has abandoned you. If you are a believer in Christ, not for a single millisecond has God ever turned his back on you. It may feel that way, but he is not. Not for a second will he ever turn away from you. But we need our eyes illuminated. We need to see. We need a fresh perspective. So he prays, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And at the end, it's like he's restored all of a sudden. I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing. I will sing the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Beginning, he is suffering. At the end, he's remembering how good God is to him, and the Lord has been good to you. If you're in this room breathing and alive, he has been so good. The Holy Spirit has inspired this, this chapter of Ecclesiastes for us to work through these seasons and to know that there's a hope in them. We have a hope in our suffering. We have a hope that the things that take place in this world, the meaninglessness, the fleetingness of this life have purpose. There will, they will be judged one day and there will be reward given for those of us who are in Christ. And so for us crossing church, what does this look like? I mean, from beginning to end of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we need to come together as a body and be there for one another. As we work through these seasons, don't don't walk in isolation in the seasons that you're in. Let us celebrate the good with you and let us weep with you in in the sorrow. Back in the very beginning, let us as a body have a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, and all of these things. Let's do this together. Don't be alone. Let people into your life and experience this with you. If you're in the dark night of the soul, don't live alone in that. But know that there is hope. Know that there is a purpose for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that even a book like Ecclesiastes, where life seems bleak, you've given hope. God, you've given us purpose, and it—it's fairly simple, Lord, to. Enjoy this life that you've given us, God. Help us to do that. Help us to repent where we need to repent. To, to pour out thanksgiving where you have been so gracious. God, thank you for your son. God, because of him, all of this is possible. The hope that we have is real.